Good morning, Redemption. My name is Tim, and I'm a member here. Today's reading is going to be from Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scrolls and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Tim. A couple things I want to do before we, before we pray and get in. First, uh, if you're new with us, the kind of preaching we do is called expositional preaching. The goal is to expose what is written in a particular passage of the Bible. That's what Tim's just read. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, again, they're in the corner. If we got a member who wants to wave people down, if anybody needs a Bible, the, the best way to listen to this kind of preaching is to be looking at the passage. Or you can also Google Revelation 5 in the ESV, and you can follow along that way. Uh, I also want to say it's, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. I've, I've, been, I've been looking forward to, to preaching this morning, I have been not preaching the past six or so weeks. Uh, we've just returned home with our daughter, Swara, uh, from India. We've adopted. And um, I, I, in particular, want to just thank Greg Alice, one of our elders who's been caring for us and serving us as a church and preaching these last six weeks uh, so well and so faithfully. And Greg, just thank you personally. Uh, I don't think it's very common for a preacher to be able to have that much space to focus on a major life transition. So you've loved our family well in particular and, and continue to serve the church incredibly well. So let's just thank Greg for serving us in that way. Um, we have another, I believe it's five weeks in Ecclesiastes, and then I'll be back and preaching in Philippians. I'm looking forward to that, uh, but I'm excited to be here and to preach this morning as well. Would you pray with me? 
Father, make much of yourself this morning. Make much of your Son, Jesus, our crucified and resurrected King. We pray in his name. Amen. If at all possible, I'm convinced it's always important to know why. Uh, I have this very vivid memory from probably first or second grade. We were all sitting around in a circle, and we were talking about animals. And the teacher would show this illustration of a monkey, for instance, and and she would ask the class, now, why does this monkey have this long tail? Does anyone know? Now, you're going to learn something about my personality from this story, but I remember thinking, to be honest, no, I, I really don't know, but I'm fascinated. And so... I sat on the edge of the seat waiting to learn this when, to my disappointment, some kid raised his hand and said, to swing from the trees. That's why the monkey has that long tail, to swing from the trees. And I thought, well, that can't be, okay? Anybody else? Anybody else? Any others? I'm paraphrasing, of course. This is how I remember it happening, at least, in first and second grade. Uh, But you can imagine I was even more disappointed when the teacher said, yes, Joey, that's right. The monkey has a long tail so he can swing from the trees. And at this point, I I was so conflicted. I had to do something. So I raised my hand and I said, wait, wait, wait. That's what he uses the tail for. That's not why he has it, right? Why does that monkey have that long tail? Like, how did he get it? Like, that's what I want to know. And after what was, I'm sure, an awkward pause, the teacher said, well, Danny, I suppose God gave it to him. To which I thought, bingo. Okay, now that makes sense. (laughs) Thank you. I'm good. We can continue here. Now, aside from just having a newfound appreciation for my mother, uh, because I was a handful, what I hope you take from this, again, is the importance of asking why and really pressing the question until we have an answer, something that satisfies us, right? That's what I'd like to do this morning with this topic of Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus. I want to consider why did Jesus rise again and ascend into heaven? Why? Now, In the most important sense, I'm confident most of you will know the answer to this. He died and rose again to conquer sin and death for all those who would believe in him. Now, without question, not only is that true, it it is, of course, the most important thing we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Without it, we'd have no hope. We'd have no reason to be here. But as important as it is, I mean, not to be difficult here again, but that's what he accomplished for us by dying and rising again, doesn't necessarily tell us why he did it. In other words, what larger purpose did he have in mind? Uh, What was he after in a more ultimate or cosmic sort of sense? And what does all this have to do with us today? This morning, we're going to press these questions a bit further to see that there really is more to this good news of Jesus than just our personal salvation. I want to be really clear, certainly not less than that, but more. And when we see this bigger why behind the gospel, uh, it can have a powerful effect in our lives. So we're going to explore these questions by looking at a vision this morning from the book of Revelation in chapter 5. 
Before we do that, though, of course, it's important to consider what even is the book of Revelation. It's a very unique book. Um, The book of Revelation, it's a work of apocalyptic literature, which does not just mean that it has to do with the end of the world. Apocalyptic literature, it's a specific style of ancient writing. It's not commonly used today. And the defining characteristic of this kind of writing is its use of dramatic and symbolic visions which typically correspond to some other kind of earthly event. For instance, in in Revelation chapter 4, the one before this, John, the author of the book, sees a door standing open in heaven, and he hears the voice of likely Jesus saying, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. In other words, the visions that follow in the book of Revelation are visual descriptions of unseen heavenly realities, the realities that lie behind the experiences of God's people here on earth. These are heavenly glimpses into the earthly realities that the church either was facing or would face, in some cases still will face, in the future. The book is also filled with with symbolic references to the rest of Scripture and especially to the Old Testament prophets which is usually lost on the readers who are not as familiar with the Old Testament. As a general rule, the more we understand and are familiar with the Old Testament, the more we will be able to make sense of the book of Revelation, and the better we will make sense of it. And also, as a general rule, the less familiar we are with the Old Testament, the more tempted we will almost certainly be to assume we're reading about Donald Trump's arraignment from last week or something silly like this, right? I don't know if you heard of this or noticed it, but they did unseal his indictment, you guys. <laughs> there are seals in Revelation 5. I'm totally kidding, right? <laughs> totally kidding. Don't do that. Uh, that's not how the book of Revelation works. Uh, we are not intended to read this book and make sense of the headlines today. This book of Revelation was written to and for first century local churches made up of Christians who were daily at risk of being persecuted and even killed for their faith. So I'm sure you can imagine, it would have been incredibly tempting, if not easy, for these brothers and sisters to wonder, is this faith that I have really worth it? Wouldn't my life just be easier if I gave up on this following Jesus thing? Should I really keep pressing on here? So Jesus gave John these visions to help the weary Christians in these churches to see, yes. Yes, you should press on. All the evils we endure, all the dangers that we face are well worth it. And and here's why. Here's the point of the book. It's because there is far more going on here, spiritually speaking, than we can see with our earthly eyes. So this vision takes place in particular in the throne room of heaven. And there are 28 very interesting characters that we are introduced to last, uh, not last week because we're not preaching through the book, but in Revelation 4. There are these four living creatures. One is like a lion, like an, one is like an ox, one like a man, and one like an eagle. There are four. And then there are also 24 elders present in this throne room. So there's not universal agreement on what these correspond to, but chances are the living creatures in some ways symbolize different aspects of God's power. 
Those four beings in particular were used elsewhere in ancient literature to symbolize power in this sort of way. Uh, The 24 elders more than likely refer to the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel from the Old Testament, and then also the 12 apostles from the New Testament. Uh, Either way, it's pretty clear we're talking about key figures in the story of God's redemptive history. So here's the idea. We're basically in heaven's control room, if you will, with all of God's most elite servants. Uh, But more importantly, this vision revolves around a real predicament they had in that throne room. There is a scroll in God's hand or a book of some type that was sealed with seven seals, and no one in all of heaven was worthy to open these seals to look into this book. So obviously we have to ask, okay, what, what is this book and why can't anyone look into it? Well, first, the idea of sealing a scroll or a book in this way was common often for kings. These were more than likely royal seals, and they ensured that no one would intercept a written communication that was intended for the king before it got to him. If it got to him and the seal was broke, it was compromised, right? And this gives us one hint, at least, into why no one was worthy to open this scroll. It's because they weren't the king of heaven. God is on the throne waiting for his king so that he can hand him this scroll, This scroll, as we saw in our call to worship, is almost certainly a reference to Daniel chapter 12. Carl did a great job introducing this to us. In Daniel 12, it's a tumultuous time in history. Israel is in exile. There are all these visions of earthly kingdoms and nations raging against one another. Daniel's very unsettled by the end. What's going to happen here? And God tells him to shut up the words and to seal them in a book until the time of the end. He says here toward the end, it's the second slide, I believe, uh, I heard, but I did not understand. And then Daniel says, I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he, God says, Daniel, go your way, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end, right? So here in Daniel 12, we have this book or a scroll which belongs to God. It represents and and reveals all of his plans for the end, for judgment and redemption. And then here in, uh, but it's it's sealed up until the end. And then here in Revelation 5, we have a book or scroll that's sealed with seven seals. So in short, this book in Revelation 5 represents the unfolding of God's plan to judge and redeem the world. To break these seals and open this scroll on one hand, would reveal the plan, here's how it's going to happen, but more than that, it would also set it in motion. It would mark the beginning of a new eschatological age in which God is bringing all of history to its final conclusion. The more precise theological way to say a thing like that is to say that once these seals were broken, it's game time. Game time. But since the time of Daniel, there was no one No heavenly king who was worthy to open this. When John hears this, he is overcome with emotion. He writes in verse 3, I began to weep loudly. Just picture a grown man sobbing in heaven because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then all of a sudden, 
John sees a lamb in this throne room. And this is where it gets really interesting. He writes, Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, listen carefully, as though it had been slain. Spoiler alert. The lamb is Jesus. Okay, it's Easter Sunday. The lamb is Jesus. This is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the presence of this lamb in this condition actually does tell us something that this vision corresponds in some way with his death and his resurrection. It seems as though this is all taking place in heaven, at least not long after he died and rose again. So I want you to picture this mangled little lamb standing there, probably just kind of contorted, like he had just been slain. And I want you to picture all of heaven on pins and needles, just silent. Shh, 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 shh. They didn't hear you. The one who conquered. Just let's see what he does. I want you to picture this lamb sort of hobble over to that throne. And then in the silence of heaven, this is how the book of Revelation works. How does a lamb reach out and grab a skull? It's not the point, but he does. He reaches out, he grabs the scroll, and all of heaven breaks into a roar. Finally, we have a heavenly king who is worthy to break these royal seals. Finally, God's plan of redemption is revealed for all to see and know. Finally, the end is now in sight. These creatures and the elders, they fall down before this lamb. They're playing harps as they fall down. They drop these golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Just imagine that. All of God's people before that point in history who had prayed for this moment, all of those prayers pouring out in praise. And then this part will focus on, most of all, heaven breaks into a song. And I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song because, church, this is why he rose. This is why he ascended into heaven. And this is why we need to press on. Heaven sings, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, those lyrics also give us a bit of an insight into the point in history that this likely corresponds to. Jesus was recently slain, we've seen, uh, but he's also here being given authority in this hymn, but also in the other two hymns that are sung later, this is the point at which Jesus becomes the king of heaven, which is often associated most closely with his ascension. When he returned to heaven to sit at the right hand of God to rule over all things. But I want you to notice, this Jesus is a very different kind of king. He is unlike all of the earthly kings who try to rule their respective raging nations this crucified, resurrected king, if anything, is calling people out of those raging kingdoms and nations. He is ransoming them from every tribe, language, people, and nation of the earth. And he is gathering all of us together into a whole new kind of kingdom. A, a kingdom that is not of this world. 
Church, this is why he died and rose and ascended to heaven, is to rule over all of creation as our heavenly king. In verse 12, the angels join in and together they sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and all the other things you might ascribe to a king. Then all creatures join in. John says, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. (laughs) Together they sing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is the why behind Christ's death and resurrection. I want you to see this death and resurrection thing is about so much more than God simply saving you. If you, friend, have have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, if, if you have been baptized as a profession of your faith into the church of Jesus Christ, then God has saved you into the greatest redemptive work of all time. You are now a part of Him setting all things right. And at the very center of this cosmic plan is Jesus, our crucified, resurrected King. Like John's original readers, it's so important for us to remember all of this because too often, if we're honest, it just doesn't really feel like these things are true in our daily lives. We may not be at risk of being persecuted or killed like John's readers, praise God, but we do still live under the sun, as Kohelet writes in Ecclesiastes. We do still face all kinds of suffering and disappointments. Increasingly, living as a Christian doesn't necessarily make our lives more simple or uh, easy. And we, like John's readers, are tempted, of course, to to just give in. But this vision is here. This is in our Bibles to spur us on this morning. And here's why. It's because this same crucified, resurrected king is still seated on the throne of heaven even now, even this morning. And so next, let's just consider what all of this means for us today. Uh, Because Jesus is ruling over all of creation this morning, here are three responses I want to encourage from the passage. The first response is this, let's all bow down before him. Let's bow down. The truth is, uh, the death of Jesus, the, the resurrection, the ascension, all of these things will do us no good, absolutely no good whatsoever, unless first we see the heavenly significance of them and our deep spiritual need, and then also bow down to this Jesus in awe and adoration as our heavenly king. Unless our lives are fueled at every level by this kind of love and affection and adoration for Jesus, We will almost certainly be tossed to and fro by other winds of doctrine, by political ideologies, by ignorant controversies, and a host of other things that the Scriptures clearly warn us against until eventually we're just swept up in the cares and the fears of this world, rather than pressing on by faith in the crucified King of this world. So if we want to endure in the faith like John hoped his readers would, here's step number one. We need to bow down to this King Jesus. Surrender everything you have. 
Surrender everything you are to this resurrected God-man. Bring all of your sin, bring all of your shame before him. Lay it down. Say, here, can, can you do something with this? Can you help me with this? Look to Jesus and to Jesus alone to make sense and to find meaning in your life. Does this Jesus have the appropriate place of honor in your heart? And I'm not asking if you've studied him, not asking if you could quote him, not even asking if you kind of, kind of like him. I'm asking, do you adore him? Do you worship him? Is the posture of your life like the beings in this vision prostrate, fallen down before him? Church, next time we're tempted to cave into the pressures and stress of this life, next time we're tempted to live for ourselves for fear that no one else will look out for us, Let's slow down. Let's find a quiet corner of this world. Let's open this book to Revelation chapter 5. And with these creatures and with these elders, let's bow down to our heavenly king. Next, uh, because Jesus is ruling over all of creation, number two, let's go and tell all nations the good news. If this gospel is this big of a deal, if it's truly about so much more than just me and God, then it has to change the way we think about the rest of the world and our place in the world. We can't just go on with this sort of us versus them mentality. We can't just sort of roll our eyes with indifference at all the wickedness or corruption. We cannot sort of resign ourselves to all these many billions of people made in our God's image because we have been swept up into this eternal plan to ransom some of these image bearers into God's kingdom with us. But especially these days, it's tempting to think, oh, you know, it's pretty tense out there. It's probably best just to, to stick with the people who are like me, the ones I can easily understand and trust and relate to. I want you to see that posture is out of step with this vision in Revelation 5. With John and with the church throughout the centuries, we need a vision and a passion to see all kinds of people bow before the throne of Jesus. But here's the thing. We will never have that vision and we will never have that passion lest we are convinced that he is truly reigning over all today. So is this gospel the thing that dominates and saturates your worldview? Is this message and mission the lens through which you see the world and your place in it? But really neat story to tell. About a month ago, again, Carrie and I were in India picking up Swara. And during that trip, we met a new pastor friend, an Indian church planter there uh, in, in Delhi. And we spent some time with him and his family, spent about a day with them. And we also worshiped with him in his church on a Sunday, which was incredible. And we took the Lord's Supper with that church. Now, that service we attended was profound for a few reasons. First, it was Suara's first time ever gathering with the church of Jesus Christ on earth, which I just think is fantastic. I'll never forget that. It's also just incredible to connect with brothers and sisters in a, literally the opposite side of the world who share our passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ, even, even for expository preaching, even for meaningful church membership, all these things there in India. But without a doubt, one of the most impactful moments of the service was taking the Lord's Supper in this basement room with 50 
Indian Christians. Just consider what was happening in that moment. Here we are, other side of the world, surrounded by millions and millions of people, most of whom do not know Christ, some of whom are very opposed to the message of Christ. And by God's grace, we managed to find one of the few groups of people who worship the same crucified, resurrected king as we do. And there, much like we do here every other week, we took of the bread and the cup, which celebrate the body and blood of this lamb, which was shed to ransom us, Americans, and, and these Indian brothers and sisters into a new kind of heavenly kingdom, which Jesus rules over even that day as we take the Lord's Supper. If we could only see the invisible spiritual reality of what took place during that service. And here's the point. Jesus is ransoming people from all nations into his heavenly kingdom. He just is. And it is so important for us to remember this daily and also for our lives to reflect it. But don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean we all have to get on a plane and go to Delhi. For some of us, it may actually just mean talking to that neighbor we're inclined to avoid. <laughs> it may look like not letting our political ideology isolate us from the other half of this country. At the very least, it should look like us as brothers and sisters pressing on in the faith and truly opening our mouths to let all kinds of people know this good news, that they have an eternal resurrected king in heaven. So who is it that God is laying on your heart this morning? Uh, where might he be leading you to go and what might he be calling you to do to share the good news of King Jesus with others? And finally, because Jesus is ruling over all of creation, number three, church, let's tap into his power. Let's tap into his power. Now listen, don't miss this. This is one of the greatest tensions in Revelation 5. It's one of my favorite aspects of this vision. At the very center of God's plan, catch this, to, reveal, to redeem all things, at the very center of it is a crucified lamb. That's strange, is it not? It's not some savvy statesman who he sends to be this king. It's not some bloodthirsty warrior who he sends. No, it's a lamb who was slain. This shows us something. Hang with me here. This shows us that the cross was not a barrier to Jesus' glory. The, the, the cross was not just something you, got, you, know, you had, had to do in order to receive the glory. No, the cross is the ultimate display of Jesus' glory and power. Even after the resurrection here in heaven, he is depicted as the lamb who was slain. And notice, this is why he is worthy to receive power, glory, honor, and all the rest of it. And what does this mean for us? Well, I think it means... If we want to tap into Jesus' power, we have to tap into it the same way that he did, by dying. It's by giving up all hope of finding our ultimate fulfillment in this life. It's by trusting that these things can only be found by faith in him and him alone. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, he puts it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, this is how we tap into the power of King Jesus. 
It's not by just living better. It's not by projecting strength. It's not by winning a culture war or accumulating power in this world. No, it's by losing on purpose. It's by embracing our weakness. It's by following in the steps of this exalted lamb who was slain. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And so in what ways are you tempted to sort of power up and project strength in your life right now? Who is it that you would love to conquer and rule over? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a coworker. Uh, parents, maybe, maybe it's our kids. But more importantly, what would it look like for us to lay down our lives for these people instead? Now, you might be wondering, okay, why would I want to do a thing like that? Our answer is right here in Revelation 5. It's because there is a crucified lamb king in heaven who did the very same thing for us. So let's bow to him. Let's tell all nations the good news. And church, let's tap into his self-denying power. Let's pray together now. Father, we are struck by this vision of the lamb who was slain. We are amazed at his power to rule all things. And we are also in need of the encouragement it brings because it so often doesn't feel this way. Meet us in our disappointment. Meet us in our sorrows. Meet us in our anxieties today. And give us this great courage and encouragement that our life is over in the flesh. We have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. We thank you for the wonders of the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. We pray you'd use them to shape us even this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.